Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, although you might think I look a bit different today if you are watching. Um, I look more like a Cocoa Pop than a Rice Krispie today um, because I am tanned up after a competition this weekend. But we have another exciting guest on the show uh, from Renaissance Periodization. If those of you who know Mike Isratel very well, he's on the show all the time. You may well know of Melissa Davis. Um, who is on the show and I, we met back in uh, when I forget it's like a year or so ago now uh, when Probably. yeah a couple of years the time flies uh, when we arranged for James Hoffman um, and Mike also to come over and Melissa was there too and um, I mean it was great meeting you then and it's great chatting now and to give you a bit of background about Melissa for those of you who don't know um, and why I have her on the show and why she is some value that she can share with you. She's a PhD in neurobiology and behavior, has received awards and fellowships for scientific communication, teaching and excellence in research. Her, she herself is a um, competitor, so she focuses on combat sport and is highly competitive, winning many championships in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and submission grappling competitions, for those of you who know what those are, but they're, they're pretty hardcore, um, and has also won and competed um, in physique competitions, marathons, ultra relay races, and Tahitan dancing competitions. I'm not even sure what that is, but I wrote it down because it was on been a long bio. time since <laughs> and um, she's also a consultant for Renaissance Periodization and co-authored the uh, Renaissance Women Diet book, um, well, it's for muscle growth and performance through scientific eating, which is some of the areas we're going to be touching on, uh, mostly talking on specific things for females, but these are going to be very applicable to males as well as me and Melissa were just discussing a lot of men and women go through the same kind of psychological battles a lot of the time, physiological a little bit different. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Melissa? No, I think you gave me maybe more credit than I'm due. Thank you. <laughs> now, everything I said is only what you've achieved yourself. So I think, yeah, a lot of the time the guests are too humble. I'm just like, well, I've only listed off everything you've achieved. And it's like, well, you've actually achieved <laughs> a great deal. Um, but yeah, I know Melissa deals with, I mean, you've worked with loads of clients through Renaissance and helped. Yeah. I mean, Renaissance periodization as a whole has helped, I mean, thousands of people transform their lives um, through scientific eating. Uh, which sounds like a really wacky term as if it's like something crazy, but in reality, uh, it can be quite basic. Um, but what we wanted to touch on was specific female targets for rates of body composition change, because these are different to males um, and kind of for fat loss, for muscle gain, should females be targeting the same rates as males? Because I think a lot of the time, I mean, I probably am bad for this, but I try not to, I quote, specific rates of gain of or loss of fat or muscle and then it doesn't necessarily apply always to the female who is maybe they're smaller um, maybe you haven't given a percentage rate of change you've given like an actual pound loss and it just doesn't quite work itself out so i don't know if we want to touch on fat loss first of all melissa um for females specifically how can a female kind of attack fat loss and what can they expect like how fast can they expect to lose and what factors maybe does it depend on? So I think uh, what tends to skew things a lot, especially for females right now, is that a lot of females who are coming into trying dieting and things for the first time are also coming into lifting weights for the first time. So you get a lot of females and you tell them, you know, okay, your target fat loss is 1% of your body weight per week. But then you have, they get these noob gains. So you get a lot of women who are really frustrated when they're looking at the scale and they've just started lifting. So they're in that magical period where they can gain some muscle as they lose fat. So the scale doesn't change very much. And I think women in particular have a tendency to sort of obsess over that number. So I think that's one issue is that a lot of people are new to lifting. They're getting these great body composition changes and they're not recognizing that as success because they're looking at the number on the scale um, and hearing this 1% per week and not seeing it happen. Um, in terms of fat loss, I don't think the goals for women are that much different all things considered, about 1% per week. Um, I think muscle gain, we definitely expect less than men um, in terms of ratio of muscle to fat gained on a mass or something like that. Mm -hmm. So if we want to actually, I think you touched on some really good points. I think something 
that you really identified was the fact that we do obsess about the scale too much. Um, I think all of us do. And um, specifically, I mean, maybe females are more candidate for that. Um, when we're talking about kind of assessing physique change, if you can't rely on the scale, what other measures are you kind of looking at that or maybe a female can look at to help guide her if she's doing the right thing? Yeah, for me, for my clients, especially if I know that they're new and they have a high chance of that sort of rapid body composition change, I just tell them if they don't have access to a DEXA, which a lot of people don't, or it's expensive, you know, to get keep getting scanned. I say, take pictures of yourself, good ones from a nice angle with good lighting, same clothes on, do that at the start and do it every three to four weeks for the entire process, your whatever, 12 week or whatever it is, fat loss diet. And I think that can be incredibly eye-opening to people who are really focused on the scale and not really seeing the changes in themselves. When you set those pictures up side by side, they don't really lie. So no, it helps even for myself, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but sometimes I really got to do that to see what's happening in yeah. terms of body comp changes. No, I think that's really important. I think importantly with the photos as well, you touched on was the fact they need to be good photos. Like you can't, yeah. I mean, ugh, it's frustrating. And I've, I've created like a guide for my clients of how to take a photo, which yeah. seems silly, but it's actually really necessary because people will take selfies in mirrors and they'll be yeah. using their own phone, like, and they'll be like, is my back in this? And it's like, you, you can't, right. it needs to be comparable. Just like you use a scale under the same conditions. You don't weigh in at right. night and then in the morning, you need to have the same photos. So Definitely. three to four weeks. Um, that's, I guess, I, I mean, obviously we don't expect results overnight, but that's quite a long time. How do you get your female specifically to like buy into that process of kind of trusting that it's all happening and going in the right direction? Because they might be like three or four weeks. What if the photos haven't looked any better? Um, right. <laughs> uh, well, usually there's at least some scale change so you can convince them that something is happening. And I think at this point, at least for a Renaissance periodization, we have, you know, I don't know, 20,000 before and after photos that you can tell them to go look at and sort of trust the process. But yeah. No, I think it is important, I guess, like you touched on, trust the process because if they don't have buy-in to the coach or the system that's like whatever it might be, if yeah. you don't have buy-in into it, then it's useless. But the great thing is specifically for Renaissance periodization, you do have all of those before and afters, but you also have the blogs, the books, the scientific kind of data behind backing yeah. all of your methods. Whereas I think a lot of these people, I mean, again, I, I hate to say it like females particularly, it seems to be at least um, they buy into these before and afters where it's not backed up by scientific research. It's not backed yeah. up by coaches who are PhDs. It's kind of backed up by apps, just, I mean, myths and kind of things like this. Um, so I think that is something if you are looking for a coach, kind of do your research, I think, rather than just, I mean, before and afters are great. And I think it's brilliant. Renaissance do it because right. they work and you have to supply what people demand. Um, but I think, yeah, a combination of making sure you're not ignorant to the person you're getting coached by is really important. Right. right. Um, yeah, because you also have sort of um, that noob gains effect comes into play there too because a lot of people are doing things you know there's a, a lot of these online programs they send you a pdf to do you know burpees and sit-ups in your house and if you've never done anything else in your life and you do that and cut out fast food sure your before and afters are going to look great but that's not going to be something that's sustainable sustainably continues to change your body composition so people sort of um get sucked into things like that and then their progress stalls out and they get frustrated and start doubting that anything works for them yeah and um the other point I, w I thought was good that you touched on was you talked about a percentage rate of fat loss rather than kind of a standard figure set alone figure i, I never really like I, I mean i can see why the one to two pounds has become really popular right. but do you want to explain why you used a percentage rather than a kind of set number right so yeah you get you know a woman who weighs 200 pounds and you tell her 1.5 to 2 pounds a week, and that makes perfect sense, right? But you get a woman who's 5 feet tall. Um, I don't know what that is in centimeters, 50-something maybe. <laughs> a shorter woman who weighs, you know, 100 pounds, and losing 2 pounds a week for her would be devastating to her muscle mass. So 
it's one of those things. It is a good average, you know, it's, it's right there in the middle, but it's not going to apply to everyone universally for their best results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, someone who's yeah 200 pounds, they obviously have a lot more weight. They have potential yeah. to lose. Um, I, I can't think of a great analogy. We need Dr. Mike here to give a good analogy. Um, but if you think about, I don't know, maybe something that has a long battery life versus something that has a short battery life, a, a minute of battery use from one to the other is going to be a different percentage of the total use of that battery. Right. Terrible analogy, but um, sometimes um, it helps for people to picture these things. Um, so, no, I think those were some great points and something I, I think that we're going to move on to and you talked a little bit about muscle gain is that women might be listening to this who don't kind of aren't open to kind of a lot of the the scientific research and things like this and they they might have the idea that oh no like you've talked about the fact i'm going to gain muscle from lifting weights and i i mean i'm looking for fat loss not big and bulky muscles and that sort of thing yeah. and i think it's important that we touch upon that what and you already said women can't expect to gain as much muscle as men um, so yeah. what about for women and kind of rates of muscle gain? How much can they expect to gain? So, it, you know, it depends, obviously, on their training age. So how long they've been lifting weights, how long they've been doing scientific dieting. Um, it depends on genetics. Um, so there's a lot of factors that come into play. I've had clients who've gotten DEXA scans and have gained, you know, say a 150 pound woman who's gained 15 pounds on a mass and she's gained like nine pounds of muscle, which is absurd, you know, so, but it's possible. She's got great genetics. She's new to lifting. She's new to dieting. And it just, you know, the muscle flew on. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I have, you know, experienced women around the same size have been lifting for years. They've been dieting for years. Maybe they don't have the greatest muscle gain genetics. They gain, you know, two pounds out of their 12 to 15 in muscle. So I think the range is huge. Um, along all of those variables, but definitely less on average than men will gain in terms of percentage of muscle to fat on a mass. Mm-hmm. I can't um, put an exact number on the difference just because there's so much variability yeah. though. Yeah, I mean, it, just from a, I mean, men try incredibly hard to gain muscle and a lot of men aren't that muscular. Um, so the fact is if women try, I mean, even incredibly hard, they're unlikely to gain at the rate of what a male would expect to. Um, And I think it's important. I mean, you've obviously worked with loads of women. How have they felt about this process, the weight training? Like, are they happy with what's happened? Even the ones who have gained maybe more muscle than they might have expected. Generally, has their composition changed in a favorable manner? Yeah, I've never had even the women who are really hesitant about gaining muscle who went ahead with a mass. I've never had anyone disappointed in having gained muscle. I think uh, some women new to weight training kind of have a misconception about how big they'll get. So they want to cut and they cut and cut and they get really lean and they find out once they're lean that they don't have hardly any muscle at all and they're disappointed. You know, they have these these muscular fit CrossFit athletes in their mind who they think look great. And they think if they just cut enough, they'll look like that. And then once they get to that point, I can usually convince them to mass and then they're typically pretty happy. Um, I think the psychological aspect of massing for women is really interesting. And I think from the average man to kind of understand what a woman feels like, imagine as a male, that someone told you in order to get huge and jacked, you need to first spend, you know, three to six months obscenely scrawny. This is the payment that you have to make to get jacked. That's sort of uh, the way it feels to tell a woman you're going to be chubby for three to six months to like gain all of this muscle. So it's definitely a psychological challenge, but I've never had anyone who wanted the muscle to leave once they gained it. So. No, and I mean, muscle gives us shape. It gives us form. I always talk about kind of if, I mean, people can know what a skinny fat dude looks like. Um, it's, it kind of happens for the female as well when they're yeah. kind of, you don't have the, the glutes, you don't have like the abdominals, you don't have the definition in the arms and everything. It's like a dropping a bag of um, a sack of potatoes kind of just without any kind of good shape or figure. And it's just like, it, it doesn't yeah, appeal. And they want to be toned a lot and they don't realize that what they're actually saying is that they want some muscle under their fat to give them that the shape and the curves. So 
Exactly. I think, yeah, wording is definitely needs to start adapting in, in the general population's vernacular. <laughs> no, definitely. And, and apart from the fact it makes you look better, you function day to day better, it's good for kind of bone health. It's good for yeah, I mean, being able the to do day tasks. Are crazy. They talk about, you know, people talk about metabolism going down as you get older. And for women, you know, we don't have that loss of testosterone. We don't really have a big change over lifespan in our ability to um, gain muscle and in our metabolism. So a lot of that comes from just muscle loss over time. You know, you every if you're a female who doesn't lift every diet you go on, you lose a little muscle. So over your life, you know, the older you get, the less muscle you have, which predisposes you to broken hips and all kinds of other injuries that leave you less um, capable in your old age. So bone strength and just the musculature to hold your body up and maintain your metabolism over life is an incredible health benefit. And in fact, that is, I mean, you touched, that's such a good point in that actually massing for a lot of females would be such a healthful thing because it would get them out of that I mean nine times out of ten if you talk to a female they'd be dieting or trying to diet trying to lose fat always Um, it's kind of like the opposite for men who are like perma bulking and they're always like slightly chubby and slightly kind of they could probably do of losing a little bit and they'd be much healthier for it this for females they could do with putting a bit on and kind of gaining a bit of muscle and they'd be so much healthier for it for the kind of the long term. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's something that we were going to touch on is that kind of psychology of dieting. Um, and I think it's a good time to talk about kind of actually starting off with maintenance because um, we haven't talked about maintenance. Uh, we talked about kind of, I mean, males are probably worse for it because we do go through, we know the typical bodybuilding cycles of cutting and bulking right. and then, we don't think about maintenance females. I mean, it's 99% of the time it's fat loss. Um, But when it comes to maintenance, how do you convince someone? I mean, first of all, if you want to explain maintenance, why it's important to have that time. um, And then we might go into the kind of delving into other aspects. Yeah. So after a fat loss diet, um, well, I guess I should say across a fat loss diet, you're going to have a bunch of adaptations that occur. Your body is, you know, evolutionarily developed to not let you starve to death. So the a fat loss diet signals to all of the aspects of your body that developed to save you from death that you're dying. So your body starts to do things like lowering your metabolism. You unconsciously don't move as much during the day. You start being, for lack of a better word, lazy. You, you know times when you would sit at your desk and like move your hands and move your feet, you stop doing that. So your caloric burn every day gets reduced. You start accumulating diet fatigue, just mentally. It's stressful to be eating less and less and less over time. Um, And there's actually some really cool studies that have shown in rodents that have been dieted for long periods, their tendency to treat high fat foods as a drug basically increases when you couple that with some stress. So by the end of the diet, your metabolism's down, your stress is up, your tendency to treat food like, like a drug, so addictive behaviors surrounding food are up, and your daily caloric burn is just in the trash. So if you don't stop, it's going to get harder and harder and harder for you to lose weight, and at some point, you will rebound because mm-hmm. you no human can diet to death. There's at some point where the calories get so low that you conscious mind will lose control and you'll just eat. And once you've gotten to that point, when you bump your calories up and you do these like addictive binge eating sessions, you end up gaining the weight back and probably more fat than you had before because you may have lost a little muscle even on the best diet. Um, So just in terms of strategy for your goals, you really need to at some point cut off the diet and increase your calories, ramp them back up and get you know, your physiology and psychology back to baseline, especially if you want to lose more weight, you're never going to be able to if you don't get back to that baseline first. So um, in terms of health, also, if you keep your fats low for a really long time, especially as a female, you start having hormonal issues, um, lose your period, lots of bad things can happen, um, muscle loss. So 
super no, important. I think uh, it super important is kind of I I almost see it as an understatement. It's kind of when I've because I have I have three sisters and obviously I have a mum obviously and kind of they have dieted before and I initially didn't know why they kind of would fail sometimes their diets and now once I started learning about these maintenance phases I was like you know what these are actually kind of this is the reason every diet fails because they don't have these built-in times for people to allow themselves to keep going or to kind of come out of the diet and not just kind of binge and break out of it. And I think it's a part of every single, I mean, I don't know, I haven't read many diet books, but I imagine most of them don't have any way out of the diet. They just have, oh, this is the diet. And then you're expected to sustain that for life and no one can sustain it for life. A lot of people have the misconception that the end of diet calories is where they stay forever. Which is, yeah, com- like we've said, is completely not the right thing to and do. It, gets, it actually gets reinforced as well because, you know, when you're at the end of the diet, that is roughly the calories you need to maintain, right? Because you need to slowly ramp them back up. So it gets reinforced because the women in the diet, maybe they have a couple extra snacks, but they kind of stick to it and their weight maintains. Yeah. And their assumption is that that's it. But really, if they they slowly ramp their calories down to that point to lose, and they can slowly ramp them up without gaining. But it's hard to realize that when you're eating, you know, 1,200 calories a day and maintaining, so you imagine that any more is going to push you up. Yeah. So. No, exactly. What's missing is that your metabolism will bounce back if you give it more food. Yeah. No. Or if you give it that's brilliant and i just want i i do have an analogy for this kind of the dieting i kind of call it i i i like to just to apply it to like a car journey in that if you have a long long journey and kind of it's all relational as well if you're trying to fly all the way from the uk to australia you have to have a stop off stop off point in like dubai to refuel regather yourself so you can make the rest of the journey otherwise you'll crash and burn which is effectively like that binge um, so if you have a little bit of fat to lose, maybe you don't need this maintenance phase, but the longer and further you're trying to go, the more important these phases become. Um, right. In terms of kind of frequency or setting up a maintenance phase, what does it look like for you? Because you also talked about kind of ramping calories up. Um, how do you set yours up with your clients? Uh, for me, my preference, I think you can shorten the maintenance phase and get away with it. My preference is to be conservative about it and have the maintenance phase be the same length as the diet. This is, I mean, in some cases, obviously you have people either, you know, prepping for some kind of competition and they have a time frame and they can't do three months, three months on and off. So you might shorten it a bit, but I think I've seen the best results in terms of people who have sustained their losses and then gone on to be able to lose effectively again. Mm-hmm. I think um, if you have the time, your best chances of success are going to be doing a maintenance phase about equal to your diet phase length. And how is that every, I know roughly for you guys, is, is it roughly every three months you plan those in? Yeah. Or, yeah. Do about 12 weeks. Yeah. Cool. Um, and is there any, in that period of time dieting before those three months, is there any breaks during that time or is that kind of like you set that as kind of a straight deficit? For the, for the 12 weeks or three months? Yeah. Yeah. Generally, months. yeah. Straight, straight deficit for the whole time. Some women have had kind of a little better time with, you know, eight to 10 week diet, eight mm-hmm. to 10 week maintenance. Personally, I like, I like the 12 week cause you can just get a bigger chunk of weight loss out. So you know, the small amount of rebound that's sort of expected in maintenance is a smaller percentage of what you've already lost. It's a little more motivating to me to do it that way, but it depends for sure. And then when it comes to that maintenance period, if you've got a client who's like, they don't have a deadline, they don't have any reason that they shouldn't go into maintenance, but they're like, I just want to, like, I'm seeing good results. I just want to keep going. Um, I don't really don't want to potentially put on any weight. How do you go about kind of convincing them or do do you come across those people yeah, I definitely come across those people. Um, a lot of times if I, if I sense that that's their, their kind of outlook from the beginning, I'll have them shoot for more maximum weight loss. You know, it can be hitting that 1% of body weight loss per week can be pretty tough. It can be pretty challenging to say that strict for that long and keep the losses going at that pace um, for the entire time. So I'll have them push for that. 
uh, if they're capable and they really are motivated. And then usually we'll over, I'll have them overshoot. They'll end up overshooting the goal because we'll set the goal slightly under a perfect 1%. Cool. And yeah, just try to explain to them that if they want this to be per- <clears throat> permanent, then the best, best thing to do is stop at 12 weeks. Brilliant. Usually rebound scares them enough that they listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've probably, I mean, you just be like, so why did you come to me? Because other diets haven't worked maybe. And what happened with those diets? Did you have a rebound right. potentially? So no, I think yeah, that's, that's great. Tactic. <laughs> um, and then when it comes to this period of maintenance, so you've brought them down and maybe they're kind of potentially even maintaining on these lower calories. How do you then go about that reversing it? I mean, I'm assuming you bring calories up in response to kind of scale weight changes and things like that, or how are you going about that kind of bringing them to their new maintenance? So usually I, for most women, most uh, women like a hundred to 180 ish pounds, I'll bump calories back up two to 400 um, per day at the end of the diet. Uh, usually fats first, usually their fats have gotten okay. to a low point. You know, when you get to about, uh, 0.1 or 0.3 times body weight um, in terms of fat grams per day, yeah. you've gotten pretty low and you don't want to keep them on that for more than like a month. So if they've gotten to that, I'll do definitely fats bump up first and then come back and bump up any carbs on the next round and usually give it, you know, three-ish weeks. And if they maintain on that for three-ish, four-ish weeks, then I'll bump it up again. I also sort of... Um, look at the person. If it's a person who's extremely upset by scale number fluctuations and things like that, then I'll bump it up sort of slower and take longer time to increase calories just to um, sort of make sure that they aren't bumping up weight too much and panicking. Uh, If they're calmer, then I'll move the calories up faster. Their maintenance is sort of longer and better that way. They have more food for an extended period. They tend to do better on the next diet, but you kind of have to take into account like both their psychology and, um, the future diet yeah and i i quite like that actually the um a lot of the time when people think about bumping up calories they think of carbs because these are having that short-term kind of response to leptin and things like this but obviously if you're going into a maintenance period it's overall calories are going to have that impact anyway but yeah. by having fats go up first of all you're actually i guess dissipating any kind of the glycogen replenishment and stuff like that as much so you don't see such a scale weight rebound is that a strategy you've planned in a little bit yeah yeah and it also helps like i said with just not keeping them at uh, low enough fat to mess with their hormones for too long If if their fats are still relatively high at the end of the diet then i'll bump carbs up first but fats tend to like you said you don't have the weight bump up from water weight that comes with it and scares them and they can ease in a little bit more Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. No, that's really good. And I think we are on to kind of the psychology of things. And when we're talking about, if we talk about massing first of all, and you kind of talked about it a little bit, and I've termed it for my, more so for my males, is kind of adipose phobia, which I, it's just fat phobia. Like guys just, you'll get, there's a lot of males actually, and I, I would be one of them who is scared to gain fat, sorry, um, yeah. in a bulk. And we hold ourselves back. And I think it's probably very much applicable to females. Um, Huge, what have yeah. been your strategies to get them to buy into that process and kind of almost accept scale weight increases mm. as like a positive? Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to them about obviously all the benefits we discussed for gaining muscle for females. And then also I think it's, you know, most females have spent – our lives trying to get smaller. And in the past, there's been kind of the, um, the beauty ideal for females was sort of frail and weak. And, you know, I think the, the new standards of beauty for women are pretty empowering, you know, like fit, strong women are considered attractive in our day and age. And that's really cool. And we should embrace that. Um, and the opportunity just to try to gain weight to sort of, be eating extra food and have that be what we're supposed to be doing instead of a guilt inducing thing is it's really liberating. And it's something I tell them to focus on that. Like you can have a cheesecake on Saturday, you know, a piece of cheesecake on Saturday and it's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You lift it, you're trying to gain muscle. So 
that's a really liberating feeling. I tell them to focus on that and focus on being strong. You know, when you're massing and lifting, you feel amazing. Like it's, it's a great feeling. Um, so for just to focus on being strong, focus on enjoying food and not having to think about, you know, like being careful with everything they eat and it's temporary, you know, you, you get this sort of free for all fun period and you get stronger. And in the end you look better too. It's just, it's the only price you're paying is to be chubby for a few months. And it's, it's not really a big deal. And I think it's, um, it's good for women to spend some time valuing themselves for what they can do instead of how they look. So it's a, it's a nice mental break. And often for me, I found, I mean, the saying how easy fat loss is comparatively to muscle gain, I find that quite a nice way to get people to buy in. But I guess for some of your females, you might be getting, they almost, you they want fat loss now, but they can't because they're maybe in that position where they're at that rebound point or they've been rebounding and they're still like they need to kind of have that reversal out how do you get them particularly to have buy into the fact that they're like right i actually do not want to see any fat gain and i want to actively lose fat but you're telling me i can't now how do you have a way of getting them convinced Uh, it's you know it's that's one of the hardest things i because when they're, I, and I understand when they're at that point, they feel like they've tried everything and they literally have been dieting for maybe years and they're just not getting results anymore. And I know why, but convincing them that stopping trying is the way to get there is really difficult. Um, I have some, I have some that I'm still trying to convince yeah. that it's been a year or two, you know, wow. I have others who have actually done it. And that's probably been some of the most sort of heartfelt thank yous that I've received from clients or women who were in that spot. And after enough, you know, pep talking, I convinced them to take a nice long diet break. They came back, lost weight. And not only did they lose weight, so not only did they get to their actual goal finally, they their whole sort of life outlook and relationship with food is completely changed. Fantastic. They spent their whole, you know, the last couple of years, every bite they put in their mouth was a, was guilt-ridden, you know? So to get to a place where you can finally lose the weight and then go into a maintenance phase where you can eat some food and not have it be everything in your mouth is, you know, going against your goal, going against what you want, is a, a huge life change. So no, that's amazing. That, that that's what will happen, but sometimes it takes a while. Yeah, I've had, I've worked with a huge number of female clients, but the ones where it's been that position, I've had a few where it's kind of, it's just so empowering where they, and actually males as well, where they, they were actually maintaining or maybe like 2000 calories and we've just built them up slowly. And it's like, like they've now maintained on like 2600 and they can't believe it. Like it's, it seems like nothing, but 600 calories once you're so used to eating (laughs) pitiful amounts. Yes. Of like hardly anything yeah that's amazing and then with that isn't just the the fact oh yeah it's great i can eat more i can have a slice of cheesecake it's you have so much more energy feel alive um i think just doing this podcast and hopefully having some females listen to it who might be in that position and hearing you speak to that and how that has been some of the most heartfelt testimonials you've ever had that hopefully has helped convince them a little bit and i think i think the research and i mean i think the it's becoming better known that women don't need to be in the, and it's bad to be in these perpetual diets. It's not actually going to be yeah. helping them towards their goals. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about maybe um, where are we? So the psychology of dieting and we can probably move on to the female specific challenges um, as opposed to kind of males who are for a lack of a better term, we're very kind of just stable um and females whereas just aren't as predictable so you have to deal with kind of water weight from your periods um the fact that you have maybe i don't know if it's as typical but like females very often struggle uh struggle with like thigh fat and they feel like they've got stubborn areas that just won't budge um Mm -hmm. if we want to talk about some of these so maybe talking about first of all like periods um and how how can women kind of just give me a basic understanding of their period and how that might affect their weight? Um, first of yeah. all. Yeah. I think 
So one thing you can do as a female is just, even when you're on a maintenance period, I don't like to recommend, you know, tons of weighing yourself when you're on a maintenance period. Um, but a couple times a week, weigh yourself and just track, you know, spend once you've tracked for six to 12 months and you know what your average increase is for your period, when it happens, because for different women, it happens different times. Some women, they have, you know, a four pound bump before they start. And when they start, it drops off. Some women keep the bloat for their entire period. You know, there's, um, depends on the woman, depends on the hormones and it changes. So getting a a good idea of what happens to your body on average, and it's going to be different whether you're massing or cutting or maintaining, you know, it depends on how much, how many carbs you're eating, how much water you're going to retain. There's so many factors, but if you get your own average time frame and weight, then when you're trying to cut and that happens, it won't be as, you know, upsetting to see the scale bounce up or the weight loss slow down or whatever it is. Yeah. So just having a basic understanding, like I think what you talked to there is really important just in general, like having long-term data, because a lot of the mm-hmm. things we're talking about, yeah, people like to look at weekly average losses and scale weight and things like this. But so a lot of the time you just have to trust the process. You have to trust that what you've, you know, your rough maintenance, you know, you should be in a deficit. I mean, if you're hungry, likely you're in a deficit. If you're yeah. eating properly, especially if you're following the RP kind of template right diets that you guys give um and then if you're not hungry then yeah probably you're nicely in maintenance or (laughs) into a surplus so um i think yeah having that background data is so vital especially and it's you can't give blanket recommendations and people love them but especially every single female is different i know i have some who kind of they they jump up and others don't others find that their training gets impacted other people are very much stable so i think having kind of a knowledge that it definitely does influence things is important i think i i guess i've obviously don't experience it but i think you'd have to be a bit silly not to realize that it's having like an an impact on things um but just not to kind of be too scared of it do you ever um I know females sometimes can kind of have cravings or can find mm-hmm. particular times within their period very difficult to stick to their diet. Do you have a program around that? Um, I I don't program around it, but I think it, it's true. I think I see the most common um, time for cheating on the diet for women is just before their period. And okay. it's, you know, it happens enough that it's real. It's not, you know, something that's just made up. Uh, so it is harder to stick to the diet before your period, but you know, there's a lot of things in life that are hard. There are a lot of obstacles you have to overcome for dieting and body composition change. And I think you need to know yourself and prepare. If you're a woman who just craves chocolate on right before her period, get, you know, get yourself some chocolate casein protein for nighttime, you know, maybe some sugar-free chocolate, candies to put in it and have that be your little treat to satiate that craving and just try to stick to the diet. It's, it's one of those things like, yeah, it's going to be harder, but if you recognize it and plan for it and you know what's happening, you know, that craving is going to go away, then it's something that can be dealt with. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's good. I think having little strategies like that is a great thing because you could, with the knowledge of kind of calories and macros you can plan these things in like yeah the the different sorts of snacks that actually make sense for your diet still allow you to stick to it and solve the problem of the craving as well um so no i think that's brilliant um and then when we're talking about kind of stubborn areas of fat is that real for females and kind of what can people do about it um is it just a case of just dieting for longer Yeah, it's just a case of dieting for longer. There's no real, you can't really target fat loss that women do tend to have areas particularly like butt thighs um, tend to be more stubborn uh, fat areas for females. Um, But yeah, it's just a matter of getting leaner. And I think fat distribution is mainly genetic, but I think it does change with training. I don't, I haven't seen any uh, research on that, but I've observed it in clients and in myself. So I think like over training age, your distribution might change a little, but probably not a ton. So it's just a matter of if you hate your thigh fat and that's the last thing to go, then you're going to have to stay at a low body fat percentage to be happy. So, And have you ever found a case where 
kind of once they people have gone through kind of these massing and cutting cycles a few times has there ever been a redistribution for females you ever seen that happen or is it uh, yeah, the same? yeah that's what i meant I, oh. I i've seen a bit of redistribution but I, that's just anecdotal it's just observation in myself and others i don't know that that's um been confirmed with research no i think it's i the that's good that it was the same thing because I've seen it with myself and with clients as well. I don't know if it's obviously it's not been seen in the research, but I guess once you've alleviated some of the stubborn areas, I think I've discussed with Mike before that potentially they become easier to alleviate, but at least when we do talk about when you, and you spoke about training and that having an impact, if you're building up muscle in certain areas, it can kind of make it look like it's more toned, like that is an element of the tone. That's true. It might be. It might be um, not so much the amount of fat that's in area that's in the area, but how much muscle it's stretched over might just affect perception. It might actually not be distribution. Yeah, that's okay. true. And definitely, yeah, gaining muscle. I think, at least for me, I've noticed gaining muscle. I look leaner at a higher body fat percentage than I used to. So I think that's something for yeah. women to consider too. No, definitely. And I think it's the same if kind of, if you want your abs to be more present, then you can either build that muscle underneath or lose the fat. And it, right. an element of both is probably what you really want to be doing. Um, right. So we've touched on, I mean, everything that I was hoping to touch on. I think we've given some people a really good perspective. I don't know if there's anything you particularly wanted to kind of clarify or make very clear, or if you actually even had like a case study um, in which you could talk to, or even for yourself, kind of once you've gone through these different stages, kind of what you've experienced over time and how positive it's been for you. Yeah, I have actually a couple of things. One, I wanted to rewind to something we were talking about before and then something else along the lines of what you awesome. just said. Um, so we were talking about rates of loss earlier, and I think uh, something that I've found is important to consider in particularly overweight clients who have a lot to lose, a, a lot of times the um, strategy that people use is, you know, this person is so overweight that it's impacting their health muscle loss, not such a big deal. They just need to get down to a healthy weight, you know, so we can push the percentage of weight loss per week with these people. And I think that to some extent is actually a mistake. Mm -hmm. I think I've noticed that success rates for particularly overweight people are much lower as I'm sure you have. Um, And I think one of the reasons is if you think about it, someone who's gotten to that point, who's been able to put on that much weight and sustain it, Um, the amount of sort of dysfunction in their eating is usually a lot higher. The mental aspect, um, is a lot more entangled with the food and weight. Um, and I think that those individuals have a harder time with the adjustment to a diet. So I think those people pushing, you might even want to take the weight loss to less than 1%. Mm -hmm. So you might want to get it lower and just actually have them take it off and sustain it because it's going to be much more difficult for them to sustain weight loss than it is for most people. So um, that's something I think um, people use the opposite strategy a lot. And I think it's something to think about. No, I think that's, that's a really, really good point because I think especially when you're um, as a coach, sometimes I'll get people come to me and they'll want maximum rates of fat loss. And sometimes I'll be looking at kind of their lifestyle or what they're like. And I'll be thinking, I'm not sure it's going to actually work for you. Then we do it and they see like no fat loss. Whereas sometimes the softer approach, which might on paper not look like it's the best thing actually in real life pans out to be better. So I think that's a brilliant point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you had another point of like a case study or uh, something you wanted to touch on as well. Um, Oh, I was thinking of just going back a little bit. Uh, I had a particular client and I'm okay. I'm not going to share her name, but I'm okay sharing some of her story just because she actually um, shared it with me to give some quotes for a blog that I wrote at some point. And so uh, this is a woman who had been dieting, just trying to lose weight every which way possible for three or four years. And she wasn't remotely overweight. She was probably about 23, 24% body fat, um, average height woman, average weight, you know, nothing special, not, not, no one would look at her and think she has a lot to lose, yeah. but she was 
devastatingly afraid to gain weight. And when I went through her file and her questionnaire and I talked to her, I kind of just said, you know, I'm not willing to help you try to lose weight at this point. It's not healthy and you're not going to lose. And this is what I want you to do for a few months before we start. And she just, she cried for a week and she'd email me and her husband, you know, hid the scale from her. And she just went through this huge psychological sort of breakdown um, because she saw herself as overweight and I told her to eat more, you know, and that it just sort of broke her down. And um, it took a really long time. She, I had her do sort of a free for all reset. So I just said, you know, if you want peanut butter for breakfast and cake for dinner, nothing in between, do that. Yeah. Just needed, you know, a complete psychological break from trying to diet. And it was really hard for her. She did that. We tried her first diet. She lost a little bit of weight. And then I made her do sort of an aggressive maintenance. We ramped up calories really high. We did it for about four months. And then she did another diet and she lost great and she maintained it. And she's one of those people that was just kind of, you know, very, very, very grateful and felt like her whole life had been changed. And I think, like I said before, the value there is in the happiness more than anything, you know. She did reach her goal, which is great, but also she got to a place in her life where she wasn't ruled by food and the scale, which is, I think, even more important. No, that's amazing. I mean, I I absolutely love hearing stories like that because I went through a little bit like that with myself in that I went from like clean eating and not understanding kind of macros and calories to Mm -hmm. then realizing, oh, I know I can, if I control these variables, I can eat different foods. I can go on holiday and not stress that. I yeah. can't eat my, my clean foods on my list. Um, yeah. And so it was so freeing to have that. So for someone who, yeah, in her situation, she's had that psychological freedom because I think we sometimes don't, I mean, we don't, but I think individuals in general discredit how important and how big food is a factor of people's lives. Like we do it every day. We eat every day. We cook every day. It's kind right. of part of our culture. So if you're controlled by food, if you feel like you're controlled by it, to have that freedom yeah, to provide that to people is invaluable. And it, it, it's as simple as, oh, I actually can just eat more. And it, it can be as simple as that, but it's such a psychological battle for so many people. And um, hopefully this podcast will have reached more of that type of person um, to help free them of those kind of psychological barriers. Um, I just wanted to come back to the first point because I just I want to give some kind of cemented timelines for people. So we had... Three, uh, 12 weeks as a good length of time to aim for fat loss, losing around a 1% for majority of people in that time per week. And then 12 weeks at maintenance. Um, so kind of you're obviously getting into a deficit for the fat loss, then you're building calories up around maintenance and kind of trying to stabilize. And then when it comes to kind of building muscle, do you have a tight period of time you like to build muscle for or is there a different stopper to that? Yeah, I think it's it's similar, probably 12 weeks. Um, you don't have to maintain as long before you cut after a mass. Um, I usually, depending on how nervous the person is about the weight gain, I might do you know an eight-week mass, mm-hmm. four-week maintenance, and then cut. Um, if they're pretty comfortable and they're starting out really lean, then I might do a 12-week mass, four-week maintenance, and then let them cut. Cool. No, yeah, that's great. Males. Don't even need the cut depending on how lean they were to start um yeah. at least not at first yeah and because i know for male it, it's the same for females as males the leaner you are the more sensitive you are to kind of putting on muscle um what's yeah. the generally for males it's kind of the eight to like 16 percent body fat is a good mm-hmm. range to be within for females can you i i tend to say add 10 percent to that and that seems to be a good yeah. rough guide about about under 20%, we usually say, is a good point for females to start massing. Perfect. And obviously, we can't all have DEXA scans or like accurate ways of measuring that. But I guess, is it right for females kind of, if you can see kind of leanness in your abdominals, does that work in the same way for females as males? Um, I, You know, I don't think it does just because... It, some people you can see their abs at 22%. Some people you don't see it till 15, you yeah. know. Um, I'm trying to think of that. I would say if you don't have access to uh, DEXA, 
if you can get one once and have sort of an idea roughly of your lean body mass, you know, even if you mass, you know, that's not going to go up substantially. So you can have a rough idea of body fat percentage or just do, you know, even the in-body scans or the caliper tests, as long as you're doing the same measure each time, you're going to be within a margin of error. So it can give you a, a close enough idea, mm -hmm. I think. I think most people know, males and females, know kind of what a lean male or female looks right. like. Yeah. And they know what a super lean one looks like, and then they know what a kind of a little bit chubby one yeah. looks like. So you kind of, as yeah, long you as you're also, lean. <laughs> yeah. You can also look up, uh, you know, it's not perfectly accurate, but if you look, like Google search, you yeah. know, like body fat percentages, females, they'll give you some pictures. And if you kind of line yourself up, but be realistic, you know, don't yeah. be like, I must be the 40% one. I'm so fat. <laughs> Line yourself up next to the photos and you can get a rough idea of where you are. Yeah. No, I always think those are quite useful actually because they tend to, sorry, they look at the whole physique and everything. But yeah, body fat, yeah. people get obsessed with body fat numbers. But again, like the scale, don't get obsessed with hitting a particular figure. Um, yeah. So I think that wraps everything up really nicely. I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know we've been trying to get you on for a while and no doubt I think we'll probably get a few requests to get you back on. So we might have to find a time to get you back on. If there are any questions. Thank you. Um, oh, awesome. Um, yeah, if there are any questions from the listeners, please plug them below. Or if you'd like uh, Melissa to touch on any other topics, that'd be really fantastic because I know she'd love to. Um, and I want to make sure people know where they can reach out to you. Obviously, Renaissance Periodization website, people are very familiar with that. Is there anywhere else specifically for your kind of work that they should go? Um, no, I think Renaissance Periodization would be the best way. And you can contact if you wanted to email me and talk to me about, you know, either signing up or anything else. Um, shoot Renaissance an email and they can get you connected with me. We can chat. Perfect. Um, I'll make sure those links are below. And also for the Renaissance Periodization Female Diet book, um, I'll make sure that's within the description box below as well so people can get hold of that if they want to get that. Um, so, yeah, massive thank you again. And I want to thank everyone for listening. So uh, take care, guys. We'll talk to you soon.